What's up, guys? This is the Distance Theory Podcast, and I am Ryan. Unfortunately, the first minute of our video, uh, the audio was messed up, so I had to make this quick introduction. Um, we got to uh, interview Coach Josh, who's one of my bi- biggest mentors right now. In my opinion, he's one of the best coaches in South Florida, and luckily for me, he's been kind of taking me under his wing, I guess you can say, and giving me so much information, so much advice, and has honestly made me such a better coach. And we got really lucky to interview him for about two hours. So it's going to be a two-part episode. One's about an hour long. The second's like 45 minutes long. Um, but the man's a genius. He really, really one of the best coaches. Can't thank him enough for all the help he's given me. If you guys ever want to reach out to us, you can email us at thedistancetheory at gmail.com. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, Distance Theory Podcast, we greatly appreciate it. We appreciate all your support. And now we're going to start the episode. He was once a runner way back when in uh, the, what was it, early 2000s? Uh, yeah, early to mid 2000s. Damn, that's, not, that, that's crazy because you see <laughs> that, but <laughs> it seems like, like so, so long ago. It does. It feels, feels so long ago. Yeah, so um, like quick, quick background, just tell everybody about your running career, you know, high school, college, you just want to start out with that. Uh, okay, cool. So we can start there. Um, <clears throat> so when it came to running, uh, I wanted to run in eighth grade, uh, try it out for the track team. I think I did pretty well in tryouts. Um, the track coach actually saw me in a PE class. We, uh, we did that, that, uh, typical mile that they have everyone do like every class, We're like, Hey, everybody go out and run a mile. And I don't know what it was that day. And I was just like, Hey, um, let me see what I could do. And I ended up beating the kids in the class. Um, I think I ran like six minutes, which wasn't, you know, it's not blazing fast, but it was, uh, it was fun. So the PE coach was like, hey, you should try out for track. Um, little did he know I was kind of like a problem kid. So I was always getting suspended for whatever reason, whatever the case may be. But I had amazing test scores. So um, I passed every, every, every grade, even though I didn't do any work. Um, <laughs> So I tried out for the team and uh, I made the team, of course, but then we had like eligibility checks for grades and I didn't have the grades to run. You know, I was like, I think I was like a one, three GPA in eighth grade. And that was like absolutely terrible. So then the, um, the track coach was like, Hey, there's track at Fort Lauderdale high school. You know? So I was like, yeah, that doesn't help me right now. And he's like, well, do your work, you know, this last quarter in, you know, um, just give it a little bit of effort. Just just try, you know. And I was kind of upset with my teachers because they gave me the grades that didn't allow me to run. Um, but I did my work every other day after that point. <laughs> and I think I ended with like a 3.7 GPA my last quarter. Um, so it was pretty decent. Then uh, I went over to Fort Lauderdale High for their open house. Um, their head coach, uh, Coach David Martin, he welcomed me in. He was like, hey, kid, look, you know, um, middle school coach told me a lot about you he said that you could be good if you gave it an opportunity you know I'm going to give you that opportunity but it's not going to be easy you know they had just won the state championship like uh, a couple weeks prior to that so it was like yo I, I want to come in here and, and, and be somebody uh, ran crossing track all four years there um, then I ran a little bit in college for multiple schools multiple clubs um, we'll go into detail on that later if you want yeah yeah uh, and then uh, we then 
around 19, 20 years old, somewhere around in that age, I just started coaching um, and, and been coaching ever since. Uh, I just turned 30 a couple months ago mm-hmm. and I am just getting started on this coaching thing. It's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a passion of mine. Yeah. And so you started coaching at 20, which kind of sounds like right. Well, Ryan did. And honestly, it kind of sounds like what I might do. Cause I like, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in coaching and obviously I'm fully bought into running and stuff. So I think, you know, why not start now, you know? Okay. So real quick, I just want to ask you, uh, so going into college, what were your PRs and what college did you attend? Okay. Uh, so this, <laughs> wow. Um, every question could be an hour long, so I'm going to try and be <laughs> short and concise. I think um, when you when you hear the explanations, you'll, it'll start to show you why I am the way that I am. Okay. So um, my first year out of high school, I, was, I attended Weber International. Um, I applied for a lot of different schools. I applied to go to the University of Michigan, applied to go to Baylor, applied to go to Florida. Um, I Baylor really wanted me to attend. Like they, it was it was really really it would have been really really special, um, but. In high school, I was more of a one-track-minded athlete. I was more of an athlete student than a student athlete. Mm-hmm. So I um, I literally did my work because, you know, I, I needed to stay eligible. But it was always like, hey, 2.0. You know, 2.0 keeps you eligible. 2.0 is what we're going to do. Um, and so when it came down to graduation, um, I didn't have the – four English credits required to be an NCAA eligible athlete. Mm. Um, and it was disappointing because my heart was set on going to the University of Florida. Um, and I researched the coaches. I, I had uh, teammates that I looked up to that ran there. You know, I was like, yo, I'm going to, I'm going to go there. I'm going to, I'm going to work my way onto the team. I'm going to do what I have to do, whatever the case may be. It, that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, and then it was like, hey, you're not going to be NCAA eligible, so it doesn't really matter. Um, so mm-hmm. I reached out to any college coach I could find in the state of Florida and outside of the state of Florida. I had two choices. I could either go to Cloud County Community College in Kansas or I could go to Weber International in Babson Park. And for me, I've, I'm a Florida boy. Uh, so anywhere that snowed was like, nah, yeah. that's not going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, I ended up choosing Weber International, um, which uh, Dr. Ormsby, who I believe coaches at UNC Pembroke, he's the director of track and field there now, yeah. um, was a great distance coach. Uh, he actually sparked my coaching career um, because uh, coming out of high school, I was like a 438 miler, um, a two flat 800 guy, uh, like a 50 sp- 50 second split sub sub 50. I just don't know what it was. So I guess I'll just say 50 um, and about 10, 15 or so to two miles. So I had versatility, you're a, but you're a coach now. You can lie about your times. Oh no, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it was um, so long ago. You could just lie. Right. Right. It was before, it was before Florida Rogers recorded everything. So you could easily lie, but uh, you know, um, Dr. Ormsby and I kind of butt heads a little bit because the things he were t- the things he talked about and he explained to us when it came to workouts um i had no idea what those concepts were and 
he just he was just like hey this is what we're gonna do this is lactate threshold this is that this is that and he's like hey we're gonna do 200 today and they're gonna be 35 seconds and i looked at him and i'm like uh why are we doing 35 seconds 200 35 seconds 200 those are too too easy you know i, I want to run something faster i want to do something different and i was that hard-headed kid that was you know clashing with his coach um and uh we had some success there we you know um i had some injuries um but uh i think at the end of the year um it was hey this is the direction we want to go in and this is the direction i want to go in and those two paths didn't align mm. so i decided to go back home and focus on my studies you know do what i had to do in order to get what i wanted um so i went home after that first year uh, and I started coaching at Hollandale High School. That was where I started my coaching career. Um, and I coached there that year for two years. Um, and I attended Broward College with the intent to transfer to the University of Florida. Um, I competed um, unattached um, and for my uh, track club at the same time um, to, you know, I, I, you know, you're, you're an athlete, you can't get that bug out. Yeah. Um, and then when I graduated from there, um, I had met the coach, um, Coach T at University of North Florida. And she said, hey, you know, you could go to Florida and you could try out or you can come to North Florida and you can, you know, run here. Um, so after a brief thing at FAU, I went there for a semester just because I, you know, um, I, I don't even remember the reason why. I transferred to UNF. Um, and ironically, they went through a coaching change um, when I transferred in. Uh, Mark Van Alstine was a director when I was coming in, and I communicated with him. And then when I got there, Coach Pig had came, came in, and Mark Van Alstine went to UNC Chapel Hill. So with the uh, coaching changes, of course, you know, everything that one person says goes out the window. And, you know, this is a new regime and what they want. Um, and, and, you know, I didn't fit in that mold. Um, so I attended school there, um, worked with some athletes up there um, for a couple of years, and then ran up there, and then eventually I moved back home um, with the intent to coach again at uh, Boyd Anderson High School. I was there for a year, um, did some a couple of special things there with a really, really impressive staff. You, and then at the end coach, of that, uh, I'm about to interrupt you, but did you coach? Uh, I don't remember his name. I remember he was like a 151 guy back in like. Oh, Javon Patterson. Yes, 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 yes. Interesting story about that. I'll get to that in a second. Let me just okay. finish. Okay. Uh, okay. I don't know. Just, just I'm gonna. It's, it's, it's gonna real quick. So okay. after that year at Boyd Anderson, I went to Fort Lauderdale, and that's where I've been the last five years. Hmm. Um, to reference back to Javon, um. I did have a hand in what he was doing. I wasn't the only hand involved. Okay. Uh, at one point when Javon was in, I believe seventh or eighth grade, we were training partners. So um, he was a sub two guy in middle school yeah. because he had sub two guys he was training with. Yeah. Um, so um, picture me, uh, I think I was like 20 years old at the time. And there's this 13 year old kid and we are going stride for stride doing 300 repeats, 200 meter repeats, stuff like that. He um, he is a talent, you know what I mean? Like Javon was a very special case. Um, 48 second guy in high school, uh, 151 as a sophomore. Um, 
uh, he was uh, directly coached by his grandpa, um, who also coached me and Coach Fan, uh, Coach Don's Fan. She she did a lot, and you know, of course, I had input. And then um, while I was in Jacksonville, she was coaching him, so we would collaborate a little bit. But uh, um, he was more a training partner than an athlete. Okay, so Ryan, um, cause I was just looking at your, your Facebook the other day. What degrees did you get with going through all those schools? Like I saw you had marketing and I saw you had exercise science. Like what were you, what, or what degrees do you have now? Okay. So that, that's another part um, that uh, goes into the story. So with that um, at Weber, you know, it was a business school. I didn't, I had the same mentality showing up for college that I had in high school. Didn't matter what I majored in. I just wanted to run. Um, mm-hmm. So they were like, hey, these are the majors. And I was like, all right, marketing seems simple. Check marketing. And then I took uh, microeconomics and I started learning uh, about the market and how um, the market functions, how society functions and business functions. And I was like, hey, I think I want to major in economics. So I switched my major to economics. And then um, a year into my economics degree is around the time I started coaching. And then I'm coaching and I'm like, yo, I think I could coach after I'm done running, like, and really, really have fun. What degree do you get when you're a coach? You know what I mean? And at first it's like, yo, sports management is what you get. And I'm like, well, they say it's more for an athletic director. I don't want to be an athletic director. I want to be one of the best coaches in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so to do it, you have to understand it. And then that's where exercise science came in. And I'm not sure which one of my friends pointed me in that direction, but I thank them for it every day. Uh, exercise science is incredibly hard or incredibly easy, depending on what your study habits are. Yes. Um, but it is incredibly fun. In every class that you go in in that major, you learn something that you will carry for the rest of your career when it comes to human performance. And um, so that that was really big for me. Um, so I got my AA degree from Broward College. That's actually that back there on the on the wall. Um, and then I went to UNF with the intent to finish my uh, bachelor's degree in exercise science. I didn't get into their exercise science program, so I switched to sport management, I believe. And then I started school there. Um, and then I was just a knucklehead, and I didn't finish uh, school there. And when I came back here, I was like, hey, go to FAU, finish your degree. But I got wrapped up in coaching and being a little irresponsible and stuff like that. So I didn't finish there. Um, and uh, I got wrapped up in jobs and all kinds of other stuff. Just reality, really. Yeah. And um, I still haven't finished my degree, so that's what I'm doing now. Um, and um, I am tentatively finishing my degree in the next year. We'll see. <laughs> hey, that, that's, that's good stuff because, I mean, it's hard to finish it once you, like, have so many, like, mishaps and, like, things happen. And a lot of people get thrown off. They're like, well... I don't really need this, you know, but I think that's important. So you're continuing to get your degree in exercise science. And yes. And that's huge as a coach because I like, I've met a lot of coaches and I just feel like they never understand anything about like athletes, bodies and workouts. And I feel like they try and be the trainer when the trainer is there to do their job. And you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I, I think for me, exercise science was just a, um, it was something that was interesting. It made me enjoy learning again. Um, I've always been um, really, really 
good at learning things. Um, I really, really value education. It's just the way that I was taught. It was, those were things I weren't interested in, if that made sense. Yeah. So I couldn't give all my attention to it. But when I got to a point where I started to find things that I liked and things that I, I loved, I, I dove so deep into it. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, hey, I can open a book, you know, on just, just on energy systems and I can read it for three hours. And, you know, there are people that are looking at me like, what's wrong with him? You know, um, but that's but what that's, I, that's what you I mean. Yeah. That's what happens when you find a passion. Like for one, I can like already see coaching is like your life, you know? And right. that's like, that's something that you make every day. Like one of these things, like, Hey, I have to master my craft. So let's learn something new today. And, like, I feel like that's one of the main reasons why I came on this podcast. You know, you got to learn from wherever you can, you know? Right. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm big on learning, period. Um, there may be something I say here that may spark something in another coach. And it, it may bring an idea out of them that comes back to me. And then I go a step further. And I'm, I'm big on that. That's, that's, uh, that's what coaching is about at certain levels. Yeah. So... Okay, so Ryan, I know you wanted to uh, talk about your first encounter with Coach Josh. <laughs> yeah, so we're, yeah, so we're, so we're kind of transitioning here from uh, just talk about our relationship now with you and and mm-hmm. how we came to to learn about you and meet you and all that stuff. So Ryan, we talked to, we talked about it last week, me and Coach Josh, but um, <laughs> it's funny because like with, with him and like. He, I didn't even know he didn't get his bachelor's. When you talk to him, you think he has a PhD in exercise or whatever. Like, the yeah. man's really smart. And um, it's funny because, like, I mean, I told Garrett, like, I never liked Coach Josh um, the first two years. Um, <laughs> like, I, I didn't like you at all. Um, uh, I love and, the honesty. And um, I don't even know. I don't even – I know I – I, I think I, I know I followed you on Instagram – and I remember, like, I DM'd you, like, um, some, like, something, like, something, like, education, like, a podcast. And you're, like, mm-hmm. oh, check this out. And I was, like, oh, shit, this is really good. And it was the Facebook Coaches Club. And it was, like, one of the best resources I got. And I was, like, you know what? I'm going to send something better. And I sent you something. I sent you, like, four articles. And you're, like, well, guess what? I'm going to send you 100 articles on coaching. <laughs> and I was, like, damn. And then, like, I sent you something on top of that. And then you just, like, every time I tried helping you out, you just helped me out, like, 50 more times more than I could have done. And, I mean, I didn't like Coach Josh just because I was, like, I was, like, he just got talented runners. Like, he, he just got talented. Like, that's the only reason why he's good. And then talking to him and talking to him and, and helping me out much as he's done in the past, like, I guess six, I guess since coronavirus, I realized, and I've told Gary, I think Coach Josh is the best distance coach in Broward County I mean I don't know any other coaches like you know in the state but I definitely think coach Josh is the top distance coach in Broward um definitely one of the top coaches in the whole state period yeah um I definitely I definitely would not take that title as uh, top distance coach in Broward County because my mentors would definitely uh <laughs> they would drag me out into the street <laughs> but um I I definitely appreciate that I um I can argue that there are better coaches um, in Broward that just aren't um, talked about. You can pause it. Yeah, pause, pause for one second. I have to okay. figure out which one of my nieces and nephews are like. <laughs> okay. uh, see, I knew that was going to happen. 
Um, but I, I definitely wouldn't take that title. I think that belongs to uh, Mr. Davidson Gill at uh, Dillard. He, uh, he he was an amazing runner at Clemson. Um, he uh, continues to turn out amazing runners, and he has hands down the best um, cross country record that I. It's an unofficial record, but it's the one that I think is the dopest. Uh, his daughter actually ran cross country her first season and won a state title in that season. So oh, until somebody tops that, like, <laughs> you, that's a lot. And right, you've done right. a, and and you've done a lot coaching wise in one year. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a kid go from. Well, I mean, obviously I have, but like, you coach a guy from eighteen flat to sixteen flat in one we'll year. That's, in that's yeah, that's insane. But I just wanted to reference that, like. I, I get it. I just do like um, Jeremiah Whitfield over at Cardinal Gibbons does amazing things. Um, Dawn Span, whatever school she's at, whether she was at Hollandale, Boyd Anderson, uh, wherever, she's done amazing things. Um, I I can argue that uh, at times, you know, um, there like if you've ever watched Trisha's entire body of work at St. Thomas Aquinas, it is like amazing <laughs> like it's really hard to top like there there are some really good coaches here um to even be in the conversation with those guys for me is just I like think, i think you yeah. at least deserve that you at least deserve that for sure yeah okay that the the funny part is i have a group of friends um ryan's met some of them um coach smiley um uh he was, he was at dillard right now um coach Jarrell, he's at cypress bay um, the Quamley, he's at North Miami. Um, him and uh, Coach Whitfield, we we all have like a little breakfast club group of guys, and they always say the same thing: Josh, you gotta you gotta stop. Uh, you really gotta stop like doubting yourself. You are just as good as these other coaches, and you have to accept that. And it for me, it's like, eh, I got more work to do because I'm never satisfied. You know what I mean? And um, it's, it's hard. I mean. I'm always hard on myself too. And I think it's, that's a good trait to have because you never want to be complacent and be happy with what you have. And you always, like I said, you always want to find something that you can perfect your craft even more and mm -hmm. master your craft even more. So, I mean, that goes, that goes without, like that goes for anybody. Me as a runner, you as a coach, Ryan as a coach, you know. Which so. th that was literally going to be one of my questions later on, which is doubting yourself and, I think it's good. Like for me, like I'll start down myself and then I'll go on like a, like, like a all night of studying on something, how to be better as a coach or whatever. How do you, I don't say how you balance, but like, when do you tell yourself like, I am a good coach and then how you like, well, I got to be better. Cause I mean, yeah, I deal with that to a day to day basis. Um, for me, it's, it's, it's tricky. Um, I'll, I never actually come out in – I think I've said it twice in the 10 years that I've been coaching or almost 11 now. I think I've said I was a good coach twice. Um, once, my first year, uh, I had a, a 400 runner. He's a he was a – he's now a, the assistant coach at Allen Community College or the head track coach or something like that. I'm unsure. Uh, Dwight Davis, he was a really good 400-meter runner in Broward County. Um, and I was like, hey, I, I'm a good coach like after my first season. And now looking back at it, that was incredibly ignorant of me uh, mm -hmm. to say like first season, like, yeah, I'm, I can do this. This, this is easy. Um, but then it was the years where there were um, a bunch of good kids that were hardworking, 
um, that didn't show a super amount of talent that ended up being successful. Those, that was the second time I was able to say, hey, I'm a good coach. And that was um, a couple years later um, in like 2012 or so, I think, when I was at Fort Lauderdale the first time. It was like, hey, it wasn't because of one successful kid. It was the body of work that year. It was, you know, um, so I became more obsessed with the body of work um, for the entire team. So when I start to doubt myself, you know, I'll go on to uh, TFIRS, Florida TFIRS, or MileSplit, or whatever database or whatever it is, and I'll look at my entire roster, right? Um, and I'll see any kid that's been there for two years. And I'll see what they started at and what they're running now. And to this day, I don't think there's been a kid in my program since I got to Fort Lauderdale that has not improved steadily every year. And then I go back to my saying, men lie, women lie, stats don't. So if the numbers say that you're a good coach, then you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not just the talented kid. It's not the kid at the top. It's the kid at the bottom and the kid in the mm -hmm. middle. And, you know, in, in the bottom 25%, if everybody's getting better, then you're doing something right. You just have to continue that path but never get complacent. You know, I could win states for the next seven years and I'm going to have um, the attitude of Coach Carmen Jackson at my Northwestern. Okay, we won. Let's go back and let's figure out how to win again. You know, because if that's the standard that we have to live up to, then that's what we have to do. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you do that, I mean, I think it's a little bit easier to um, do it. Just remember to check your ego at the door. Um, always. And, and keep keep working because you're only as good as what you've done recently. What you did last year doesn't matter. Yes. And <laughs> and also, um, I mean, I, I think this is a, a good uh, little saying that my coach always tells me and to tell myself is every day is just another brick in the wall. Can't get too happy, overconfident about one workout and you can't get too down if you have a bad workout, you know. Every day is just another brick in the wall and that's how you got to treat it. So, but you do think you are a good coach, though, right? Yes. I mean. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because number three, number three. Yeah. Because I'll say it for you are like I said, you are one of the best coaches. So I know you gotta be humble on the podcast, but yeah. If you don't recognize it, there are plenty of people. That yeah. Do. Exactly. Um. Yeah. So. I guess we'll kind of start transitioning into your coaching, uh, like more in depth into your coaching career then. So first and foremost, what kind of like training philosophies do you hold? Like, for example, like what kind of mileage per week do you guys do? Um, are you more of like a, like how, just how do you train your guys on like a weekly basis basically? Um, okay. So training philosophy um, is very simple. Um, we get better by the day. Um, so kind of like what you were saying, brick by brick, you know, brick by brick, building a wall that no one can break, you know? Um, I like to be, uh, very, very close to race shape, um, as soon as possible and constantly get better throughout the season. So, um, I, I think of myself first and foremost as a track coach, not a distance coach, not a sprint coach, not a hurdle coach, whatever the case may be. I've coached it all now. Um, and 
my philosophy at first, when I first started coaching was, you know, short to long, that's the way it's always been done. That's what I was taught. That's what we're going to do. You know, um, now we may adjust based on who you are, but whatever the case may be, we're going to go short and long. And then I, um, I met Brooks Johnson one day at a, a national training center meet under a tree. Uh, he's sitting there under a tree. And if you don't know who Brooks Johnson is, um, he is probably one of the uh, most influential coaches in the country um, at the moment because he, uh, he is taking his time to mentor a lot of different coaches every week on informal calls and stuff like that. And I, I try my best to attend every time I can. Um, but uh, he had a book out. I, I read it in the library. I checked it out in the library and I was reading it at the time when I was at UNF and he had topics on every single coach in every single event, you know, and I was reading a distance chapter and none of it made sense to me. <laughs> right. So he's like, Hey, you know, his philosophy is speed first. Speed kills those who don't have it. And I was like, all right, you know, that's common sense because if you're slow, you're slow. You know what I mean? A turtle's not eating a, a, a rabbit in a straight-up race. It's just not happening. Um, and I I asked him about it. And one, he's very blunt. <laughs> uh, if you've ever been on a call with him, you know he, he he's not shy about using any of those uh, unforgivable words, I guess you should say. Yeah, he don't um, say anything. <laughs> yeah, he will. He he curses like I do, like a sailor sometimes. Um, and he was just like, "Hey, uh, well, what what do you think it means?" You know. And I'm like, "Hey, man, could you sign the book or whatever the case may be?" And one, it was a library book, so I don't know why I had him autograph autographing UNF's library book, but uh, that that's incriminating right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I had him autograph the library book, and um, so we read it. You know, I read it and then I started to understand it was kind of like a different philosophy. It wasn't necessarily short, long, but it was, you know, focused on making them faster. And in turn, as their speed reserve gets a little bit better, they turn, they start to get more efficient. Um, and efficiency is key. Um, at the same time, while I was learning how to coach, I was watching David Rudisha run because I'm an 800 meter runner. Uh, first and foremost at my heart. And that is the, my favorite event to coach um, is the 800. Um, and if you've ever watched David Rudisha run, you can say he is probably the most efficient runner that you've ever seen. Yes. Um, so I focus on efficiency. I focus on speed. Um, I can't, I can give you an estimate, um, but I've never had a kid that I've coached ever run over 65 miles a week. Um, that's just not something that I, I wouldn't say that I don't believe in. I just don't do unless they, I believe that they're a 32 5k guy first and they may, um, approach the 65 marker, but uh, some of my top guys um, probably won't go over 50. Um, and even if we do approach 50, we're not going 50 back to back to back to back. We may hit it for three weeks and then we might start to come down for a little bit. And I um, mean, in high school, I think it's it's a, a good thing to not push mm -hmm. those guys over that limit because you can really burn them out. And Right. Yeah. I, I believe in having something for them to go to in college. <laughs> like, exactly. I, I, exactly. I've seen so many kids over the years run amazing times in high school, right? And you're like, yo, this kid run, run 43 seconds. When they and they run 80, 80 to 90 miles per week right. in high school. And, and, and then they get to college and they can't replicate those times. And everybody's pointing fingers at the college coach. And it's like, hey, well, you know, why can't we look back? Why can't we trace these things back to the beginning and say, hey, what were they doing in high school? And why doesn't it work in college? 
you know, I know there's other factors. There's, there's those other 21 to 22 hours that, you know, the college coach can't control. The kid may be partying. The kid may not be sleeping. The kid may not have proper nutrition, whatever the case may be. But a lot of times these kids come from these programs where they're burnt out by the time they're, sen- they're seniors. And they've been so dominant, you know, on the other side, they've been so dominant that when they get to college where everybody's good, they can't handle not being that superstar. So then they don't want to train yeah. because they're not being catered to. They're not being this or that. So, you know, I, I believe in having somewhere for them to go to. And um, as you as you come to see, you know, I, I'm happiest when my kids um, get their goals, but not be entirely successful than when they than when they're on top of the mountain, because there's more to gain in the journey up than there is when you're standing on the mountaintop. Yes. Uh, it's hard to like for example a kid wins a state title freshman year Mm. what do you have left to look for you know right and especially if that time was crazy or you know it's hard to keep them hungry right um so okay so you don't do anything really over 50 miles per week and I was interested in what you meant by short to long so does that mean you kind of focus on shorter repeats with longer recovery in the beginning slash middle of the season and then transition into longer intervals or how does that work well so um so if i tell you this you're gonna you you garrett you're probably gonna like not believe me so i think michael's done mile repeats more only twice in his four years um and that's including cross and track and even when we do mile repeats we won't do more than three um and he is a a cross-country guy i think he's a 15 5k guy Mm-hmm. Um, but he does better off 300 meter repeats. Um, he does better off 1K repeats. So those are the things that we stick with. Do we progress to longer days? Yes. Um, so if I, I'll look at it from a progression standpoint. If I want him to run, let's say, uh, nine flat in the two mile, right? We will look at it and say, hey, that's 67 per lap or so, right? Yeah. So then we'll start we'll work out, we'll figure out where we are. We'll establish a baseline, whatever that benchmark is. We'll train for four weeks and then we'll test. Let's say we do a, um, um, a, a mile, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he runs 440. And I'll say, hey, this is what your date pace is, 440 mile pace. And that's what we'll train off of. And we'll start at 600 meter repeats. And then we may progress another week to, in a couple of weeks to 800 meter repeats. And then we may progress to 1K repeats but we're, we're working that pace and we're either changing something every week. One of those variables is going to change. The distance is going to increase. The recovery is going to decrease or increase depending on what I want or the amount, the volume is going to increase or decrease depending on what time we are in the season. But we're going to start on the short side and build our way up. Now he's still going to do mileage. He's going to do his long runs. Um, we're going to build up to a, I mean, I think he's done a, a 10 mile long run. I think those, those are what the guys have done at the longest. Um, but then we switch midway into progression runs. So it's like, Hey, so we'll do a 10 mile. And then I started to think about it. They're slogging these 10 mile runs. And sometimes that's a good thing, but yeah. then they start to have mechanical issues. We started to see injuries. So I changed it to a progression run where I'll say, Hey, you know, let's go 45 minutes, 15 minutes, at one pace, then we'll pick up the pace for another 15 minutes, and then we'll pick it up for the final 15 minutes. And they started to feel faster. They started to feel fresher. And they wanted to do those runs because they wanted to see how good they could be and how fast they could do it without going too fast. You know, I'll, I'll go and say, hey, we're going to 
go down to 10K pace. We're not going to go 15 minutes at 5K pace because you're going like three miles. Yeah. If they're decreasing time, it's giving their bodies time to warm up. It's giving them time to actually feel that run out and they're feeling faster and they're kids. They want to be competitive. So it's trying to control their competitive nature in training. Um, so that's how we do long runs. Um, that's kind of what we do in a short to long approach. There's a speed component every every week, every microcycle, there's some kind of speed work that we're going to do. Um, whether it's 30 meter flies, whether it's um, accelerations, we're doing that every single week. And then on a normal week, pre-COVID, there's a lot of herd mobility involved, you know, because we don't want to coach runners. I want to coach athletes. If you have that versatility, you're a lot harder to beat. Um, and that's one thing <laughs> that we learned racing you, Garrett. Um, you have to be you have you have to be versatile. Like you can't go into a race and run three laps and think the race is over at fourteen hundred. If it's a sixteen hundred meter race, that critical zone, that last four hundred, something's gonna happen. And you know, it might be Garrett blowing by you the last eighty meters. <laughs> You know, but you have to prepare for that. So we, you know, you go back, you learn from those mistakes and you go back and you fix it. You find something, you add it to the program, see how it works and then go from there. The program's ever evolving. It's never the same thing year to year. Yeah. So I never feel bad about like saying, hey, what'd you do last year? Okay, here's everything. You know, I'll just throw it at you. It doesn't mean we're going to do it this year. <laughs> yeah. But some of those elements are going to be there. Yeah, and I mean, hurdle mobility, strengthening, so you do you do all that stuff, you know, to just try and keep the muscle imbalances low and just keep those, I guess, fast twitch fibers, you know, rolling. Because, um, I mean, you were saying that, like, you don't really do too much mileage, but, I mean, you do enough to where it's like you're doing 45, 50 miles a week, but you got to kind of keep those fast twitch fibers going. So, right. yeah. Um, so, okay. So quick question. How do you man? Okay. We talked about boys this whole time. How do you manage coaching girls? Um, honestly, uh, coaching girls is, I enjoy that more than I enjoy coaching boys. The attitudes are different when you're coaching girls. Um, the emotions you go through are, are, are definitely different. Um, but they're, once you get them to buy in and you get that trust, you're able to get them to do incredible things. Um, I've coached some incredible girls throughout my career. Um, and then I've coached some girls that I wish I could have a do-over with. Um, and that, and that's at every level. Um, I, um, like I remember working with uh, Deshaun Spann her freshman year, you know, and she had just came off of 211 as an eighth grader. And it, you know, she told me what her high school goals were. And she's like, hey, this is what I want to run before I leave high school. And I said, hey, well, we're going to make a plan. And we're going to attack it, you know. And watching her that year um, train and progress through the workouts that we were doing that some of the boys couldn't do was incredible. But then on the back side of it, it was like, hey, how do I keep her from overtraining? You know, um, so it's like I was, I was baiting her and I shouldn't have. Um, and then in other days, I was a little hard when I shouldn't have been. So, you, you know, with girls, you kind of have to manage that balance. I think one of the lessons that I've learned recently is that a girl, and I'm ashamed to say that I'm just learning this, is that a girl can do just about as much as a guy can do, if not more. 
um, the the paces and stuff like that may change a little bit. Yeah. But those, those girls are incredibly tough. And it's something I had to reflect upon and learn. So I, I don't treat them any different. Um, I actually train them harder because I know they can go harder. Um, but I'm just mindful and I try to communicate more with girls because they tend to um, shy away from telling you how they really feel because of the, the gender difference. Whereas yeah. like if you have a female coach and you're a guy, you may not tell your, your coach how you really feel, you know? I, yeah. So I try to, I, trust is way more important in that aspect. It's like, hey, I need you to trust me because we're trying to get somewhere. And the only way we're going to get there is if there's complete honesty. Honesty has to be um, at the forefront of those types of relationships, any coach-athlete relationship. Um, so you spoke about how, like, some days you'd push them hard. Like, sometimes you'd push Deshaun too hard, and then sometimes you'd baby her. Um, and that kind of relates back to one of my questions that I was going to ask you. What difficulties do you think you face coaching, like, throughout the years like that are kind of common throughout the years like so you've been coaching 10 years like what are a couple of problems that you face like usually every year um just with coaching to your potential which um before you answer it you were telling me the other day about um force like I thought that was a really interesting example because like I have the issue where kids can't go to practice every day like I just if you could say on the podcast that that was really interesting okay cool so um so like Forrest Adams, um, or maybe I shouldn't say his name, um, but I had a guy, I coached a guy um, last year. He was a freshman. He was an incredibly talented eighth grader, um, 447 miler, um, 208, 800. Um, and he had a choice of going to a private school or, or coming to us. And um, somehow we went out. Like, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know how we went out. Um, because even his parents admitted that they weren't sure, like, if that was the right decision when they first got there. Like, I don't know. That coach might not know what he's doing. He may just be lucky, you know. Um, so I sat down with them and kind of got to know him because he was a little different from the other guys. And to say that on a cross-country team, that's uh, saying something because they're normally <laughs> weird kids. I can, I can say that. I can say that because I was a cross-country kid. Um, but so with him, it was like, hey – you know, coach, I'm, I'm going to come to practice. And then he doesn't show. Um, so then I had to communicate with his dad. And his dad is like, hey, well, he won't be there as much as everybody else. Um, let's kind of figure out when he's going to, like, when we can make this work. So it was like, hey, we're only going to get him two days a week. So it's like, all right, coach, if you can only get him two days a week. What can he do on those other three days that will help him stay on the path? You know, and then what do you have to do these two days? to get him forward from where he is right now. Yeah, and two day, like coaching an athlete two days, like I don't really know too many athletes that could progress off of just two days of training with their coach, you know? Well, I mean, it, the type of athlete that you are, um, if you want to be successful, you're going to find a way. And with this particular athlete, he found a way because – he wanted to be just as good as the other guys on the team, you know. Um, he would come in, and he has incredible foot speed. Um, you would never know it. The way he runs is just like uh, 
it, it, he just has a long, beautiful stride. And it's not a stride that you would think a, a sprinter would have, but I think he has incredible 400-meter potential. Um, and so it was like, hey, I need to maximize that on the days that he's here. And then I need to get his dad to commit to, you know, kind of taking him out and just saying, hey, you know, three, four miles on these days or make sure he's doing his core work or make sure, you know, he just tries to attempt this general strength circuit and, and fit it in. And he was able to run two minutes and that was a seven second PR. So I was really happy with that. Um, he kind of regressed in the, in the 1600, but that let me know that he wasn't doing all the mileage that I said to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of like, all right, so I know what he's not doing. So now next year we can go back and, and, and fix that again. And then he kind of bought in a little bit more and his parents bought in, you know, and they were like, hey, well, well, we'll get him there three days, you know. So then the next year he ran a cross-country PR. And then we were looking toward track season. And then that's when COVID hit, when we were kind of, you know, kind of working through track season. He ran a 400-meter personal best and then COVID hit. And then, uh, uh, unfortunately, his parents, because of COVID, decided to move out of the state. And they said they would be back when uh, the COVID cases kind of died down. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. um, that won't so, be anytime soon. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I'm reaching out to his parents like, hey, you know, we're, we were under 5% for like two days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, um, so you touched on – okay, so that was one of the problems. What it – like – and you were saying, you know, year by year, you kind of keep a track of, like, what works for your athletes. Do you log this stuff? And, like, do you have, like, any, like, do you keep track of this stuff? Or is it just kind of, like, based off memory? Um, a little bit of both. I am type A with some things uh, when it comes to certain, certain types of training, like, especially with my sprinters. Because I had to learn sprints, I, I will type every single microcycle to the T. <laughs> And they'll all be in a folder and I'll see everything that works. I'll record their personal best. You know, I'll say, Hey, you know, this is where they were at, at the 200 meter mark in the four. This is where, you know, they were here at 250, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And then with the distance runners, I'm a little bit more laxed, not saying that, um, I, I don't record it, but I'm a lot more flexible. I'll, I'll write a blueprint. Um, it'll have every day of training from the start of our season to the finish. And then we, I'll plug in the meets, I'll plug in workouts. And then when the week comes, you know, I'll go and I'll say, all right, we ran well last week, but they were a little tired. So we'll adjust, you know, and, and those are coming from experience. So I'll ask my kids every day before we start practice, how do you feel? You know, um, did you sleep well last night? Did you eat? You know, um, because I, I've learned that from bad mistakes. I've had kids show up to meets not eating and, um, bad things have happened. So in order to prevent those things, we've gotten better, you know? Yeah. Um, so these are, these are mistakes that I've learned. I've, and I think if I wasn't at Fort Lauderdale high school um, here, I wouldn't have the time to learn these mistakes because if you, if you rush and let's say I'm at a, a private school or somewhere that I wasn't an athlete at, that they don't have, I don't have that super level of support that I have. Yep. I might've been out in two years, you know, they're like, Hey, this, this guy's, this guy's doing too much. Like we're going to go find somebody else, you know, but I'm allowed to make mistakes. And then at the, in the same time, you know, I'm hard on myself. So I learned from them really quickly. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, we got over that hump. We can't do that again. Yeah. 
you know? And and that's huge uh, that you have, you know, the support from your AD and, you know, most of your parents and stuff because I, I know a lot of coaches that, like Ryan, for example, you know, he kind of deals with a little trouble from his AD and it uh, it can affect you as a coach because you can't, ex- you can't, you know, some meets you want to go to and you think your athletes can perform very well at, they can't go to it or their parents won't take them. And it's just outside factors affecting your coaching, you know, as well as the athlete. So. Right. I'll say how many, how many issues do you have with parents? Um, a ton. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I have issues with parents mostly because it's, um, we're in South Florida, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're in South Florida, you have a lot of programs and kids can go anywhere, you know? Yeah. So you'll have one program promising a kid, hey, I can get you to a state championship in a year if you just transfer over here, you know? And then I'm in the business of saying, hey, you'll get better here. Yeah, you that's know? not, I was going to say, that's so flawed. You can't. Right, like what, what, sounds, what sounds better? What sounds more honest? You know what I mean? So a parent though, it, the state champion, yeah, it's going to sound a lot better. It's going to sound a lot better. So, you know, they're going to come to me and say, well, Hey, they promised me uh, a state championship at this X school. Why can't we, you know, what are we getting over here at Y? And I'll say, well, Hey, you know, this is one of the best academic public schools in the state of Florida. Let's start with that. Because like I told you guys earlier, I wasn't that super, superstar student athlete. I was just, an athlete student you know I was athletics first um but I've changed you know so that's first and foremost and I'm like hey uh high school diploma from here means something on a college application because they know what this program stands for mm-hmm. they know they know what we do here and then I'll go and I'll say well didn't you check the numbers there there hasn't been a kid that doesn't progress here because that's what I take pride in you know but I'm, I'm, I'm beyond that point of making promises because I, I've, I've done that before and I haven't lived up to those promises. And those were times where I had to eat crow. You know, I had to sit there and say, well, I'm sorry. You know, I made this promise, but we didn't meet that expectation. You know, um, so I've learned from that. And it's like, I'm not going to I'm not going to do everything to convince you to come here if your only goal is to make your kid look better if you want your kid to be a better person when they go out of here and when they come in athletically personally emotionally academically then i'm gonna always be a good choice but if 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 you're just looking at the athletic side i can't support that because at the end of the day it's not hard for me to make a you know a a a 520 you know um 1600 guy better that, that's something that, you know, I, I can say that I can do. But if you're only thinking about that side, at some point, you're going to fail. You know what I mean? Like, whether it's here, whether it's in college or something, you're going to fail. And I can't be a part of that. I need to set you up for success in life. And you know? if, these, if these parents have, like, obviously, they probably have aspirations for these kids to eventually run in college. And, right. you know, what parent doesn't want that for their athlete? And some of those schools won't set them up with the entire package. They'll just set them up with the athletic standpoint. And I think that was very huge that you brought that up. Like in college, 
for track and field. I don't know if any of the listeners, you know, listening right now know, but academics is really where you're getting most of your money from because we don't have that much that much money in our sport and and being well-rounded as an individual even your people skills that matters a lot on on visits and that could play a role whether you'll you'll get x amount of money too so right some of the best programs um are more concerned with what type of person you are than what you can do for them athletically yes The, the reality is if you are a good athlete you are one of many. If you're a good athlete and you're a good person, you're almost one of one. So that's the kid they're going to pick up, you know, and and that's the kid I would pick up Um, because I I have conversations with kids all the time to say, Hey coach, I want to run track. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I ask them, you know, certain questions just to gauge them. And that doesn't mean I turn them away, but it lets me know how serious they are about wanting to be the best. You know, do you really know what it takes to make the Olympics, you're going to hear that all the time as a coach. Like, hey, coach, I want to, I want to win the states. I want to do this. Are you, are you prepared to sacrifice what it, what you're going to have to sacrifice to get there? And that's you- that's another reason why I don't think you can make those promises either as a coach. And I don't think that's fair because it all it all depends on the athlete. At you know, that's where the success stems from. Like, you can do all you can as a coach, but if the athlete's not bought in. There's nothing. There's no success, you know? Right. And, you know, there, we, we all know that there are coaches that do that, you know, that will, that will tell kids, Hey, you know, I, you can do this here. And I've lost out on um, good athletes that come back years later and say, Hey, we, we were going to go to your school, but we chose to go somewhere else. Um, and, and that's okay. You know, I think um, you, know, you can't get hung up on those things. Um, I think you, you can only do what you can control. I think that's really, really big. That's one of the lessons I had to learn. Control what you can control. Um, because there are meets that I wanted to go to that I couldn't go to. Um, there were uh, championships that I wanted to win that I had to say no for the greater good of the, the, the team. Like, hey, like, we can't spread our kids too thin. You know, there are certain lessons that you learn that you either learn from – you either learn the hard way or you learn when somebody else makes that mistake and you try not to do it, you know. Yeah. So I'm like really big on like, hey Ryan, don't do this. I <laughs> oh, mean, um, yeah, and that goes with anything. Like I said, just life. Period. You always want to. I mean, you as a coach, like the fact that you're helping out Ryan just shows how you are, like how good of a person you are individually. You know, because a lot of coaches. I mean, not a lot of coaches, but there are certain coaches that won't take go the extra mile to help out their peers and I think that just makes you an even better coach because it makes Ryan a better coach which makes his athletes better and then you know you have a lot of athletes that are at a training at a high level and that can set you know that can set them up for for success you know the better the better everybody's athletes are the better they're going to run and the better it is going to be for everybody Right. I, I, I believe in um, the best competition um, possible. I, I thrive on it. I, I think that um, in certain cases, you're only going to see special marks when everybody's competitive. Um, I think the best example of that um, is the 400-meter world record with Wade Van Nieker. Mm-hmm. Um, Karani James, LaShawn Merritt, and all those guys in that, in that race. You know, uh, Brooks makes it no secret that he was training LaShawn Merritt around that time. And he, 
you know, told Wade Van Eker's coach, like, hey, we were training to run 43-5. And we lost because you ran 43-4. But we're going to train to run 43 flat. And you're going to have to come see us next year. You know, I'm paraphrasing because, of course, oh, yeah. <laughs> Brooks is like 88, so I don't think he said you're going <laughs> to have to come see us. But uh, so, you know, you go back the next year and Wade's coach and, and Brooks, they sat down and they said, hey, this is these are the marks that you need to hit to break that forward in the world record. Let's both train for it. And the result, it, you know, history tells itself Wade Van Nieker yeah. broke the world record. He went 43-03. Now, uh, that that is a testament to itself. You know, collaboration between good coaches, you know, led to a new world record. And I think that um, if we have more collaboration, we could see really, really special things along the way. I've, I'm only the coach that I am because, you know, there are coaches before me that reached out. There are coaches that continue to reach out. And when I reach out to a coach, you know, they aren't some, – some coaches aren't shy. Some coaches don't reply to emails. <laughs> but um, it's – it. either way, like, I've received emails from Carol Smith-Gilbert about sprints. I've received really great emails from Mike Holloway, um, from so many different coaches. Like, I, I – can't even begin to name them all. Uh, Camilla Kingston, she's in, in Detroit, Michigan. Um, most people don't know her name, but she's an amazing coach. Um, any coach that you uh, can think of, I probably reached out at some point um, because that's how you get better. It can be the dumbest question in the world. Like I, I remember sitting on a phone call with Vince Anderson and I was just asking him questions and it was literally whatever came up to my head. It was word vomit in a sense, but I had to get him out. You know what I mean? I had to, to ask whatever came to my head because maybe in that conversation, you know, I could learn something and I learned a lot. Yeah. And he might have learned something from me. I doubt it because he's like the the wicked genius. Um, but, you know, I, I learned from these guys and I, I hope that it encourages other people to take the time out to reach out to other people and do it. That's what Coaches Collab is about. That's what um, Coaches Education is all about. You know, we, the sport will die if everybody could just bury, takes their secrets to the grave with yeah, them. Yeah, it's <laughs> – yeah, I mean, and I never – that's what I'm saying. That that just makes you a better coach is what I'm trying to get at because mm -hmm. there are some, some coaches that are great and they keep their secrets to themselves. But I don't think it should be that way because if, if everybody's running faster, then we have more possibility to do special things, you know. Right. So – um. I know Ryan was waiting to talk about this. Um, Let's say real quick. Um, so we're making two parts, so this is the end of part one. Okay, cool. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Distance Theory Podcast with Coach Josh. If you are interested in being on the podcast, DM us at Distance Theory Podcast or email us at thedistancetheory at gmail.com. I am Ryan Mezzozo with my co-host Garrett Ricardo, signing out.